John Ortberg says, anytime you see life flourishing, it's because it's receiving nourishment from beyond itself. What is nourishing you? What are you being fed by today? What is feeding your soul? What is a life source to you? What is, what is it that you're catering to that you might be fed by it? This is important because if we're getting our nourishment from the wrong places, then our flourishing turns to faltering. It matters where we get fed. In our YouTube, Instagram filtered world, the greatest sin seems to be obscurity. And it's probably hard for you to believe, but back in the mid to late 1900s when I was born, <laughs> and grew up, no one knew who I was. I didn't even think my parents knew who I was. I, I didn't have a brand. I didn't have followers. Uh, it was before the internet. And I know all the kids here don't even know what that's like. Uh, I mean, some dude in my middle school told me that a kid from a TV commercial exploded because he, he ate Pop Rocks and Coke at the same time. <laughs> and I believed it for 20 years. There was no internet. How was I supposed to know? <laughs> now eating Pop Rocks and drinking Coke is a TikTok challenge. <laughs> or it should be. And, and we're, we're all trumpeting our successes and our virtues because people got to know. And without pics, it didn't happen. Today's average user spends 2.5 hours per day on social media. That's 864 hours a year of scrolling through the apps or 36 days or more than one of the 12 months in a year, all on social media. And a lot of folks seem to be living as if the most important things about them are to be performed before others and that their deepest happiness will come from being who others think they ought to be. What are you being nourished by today? What is feeding your soul? What are you feasting upon? John Stark in his book, The Secret Place of Thunder, he writes this. It's hard for many of us to even walk into a room without feeling the sharp impulse to vindicate ourselves. Even if we don't hear a single slight or word of slander from others, we often imagine what others are thinking about us and we compensate for how others may interpret our weaknesses. We talk more than we need to in order to display our degree of intelligence. We overwork in order to show others how truly needed and indispensable we are. And we don't need literal condemnations or false accusations from others to fail or to fall into this state. We do a good job inventing those things all on our own. Somehow, people have gotten the idea that our performance and what other people think of us will nourish our soul and help us live our best lives. 
But it just doesn't work that way. It's an, it's an empty existence. Now, we've been talking the last uh, couple of weeks before Brother Charles was here two weeks ago about walking the same way that Jesus walked. And John's epistle, 1 John, he, he says, those who say they are abiding in Christ should walk in the same way in which he walked. If you're in Christ, you should be walking the same way that he walked. And what that means is that we should have the same kind of relationship with the Father as he did. That, and I specifically spelled out three things we should be discerning if we are walking the same way. One is, are we discerning what the Father is doing? We should be discerning what the Father's, and we should be discerning where the Father is doing it. And we should be discerning who the Father is giving us, or specifically who he is writing upon our hearts. I've had a lot of feedback from that message two weeks ago. I, I think that it's, it's struck a chord for some of us. What is the Father doing in my life, through me, around me, in my workplace, in my neighborhood? Well, where is he doing these things? What, who has God given to me? Who has he written on my heart? But today's message is really the key to doing all of those three things. It's the key by which we can discern what he is doing and where he is doing and who he has given us. And that is living in the secret place with him. In the place where he resides, where we get our nourishment, where we feed on something bigger than ourselves and it starts making a difference in how we look, act, and speak. It's something Jesus did often. We see it over and over again in the Gospels, like in Luke 5, 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Then one chapter over, 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 9, 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Matthew 26, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. The way that Jesus was able to do the, all that he did, performing signs and wonders, not giving himself over to fame and fortune, not being fearful of men, suffering all that he would do, laying down his life, even dying upon a cross, the way he did all of it was because he was constantly withdrawing to the secret place and drawing life, energy, and power from his father. 
And if we as his followers are going to walk the same way that he walked, we have to do this too. Can I say to you, every one of you, and this is my sternest and strongest admonition to you, get to the secret place. Get there. Determine that you, I don't care how busy you are, that you are going to seek him out, that you are going to withdraw from all that is keeping you kept and busy and whatever, and go be with the Father. Simply put, if we're going to walk as Jesus did, if we're going to know what the Father is doing and where the Father is doing and who he has written upon our hearts, we're gonna have to be with him. We're gonna have to be intentional about pursuing him and hearing him and fellowshipping him. It's the key to our effectiveness. It's the key to our security. It's the key to our power or lack of. It's the key to our authority is being with him in the place where he is. I'm gonna read a long quote by Henry Nouwen. It's just so good. You need to hear it all. So stay with me, okay? Don't check out. You kids are doing great. Parents, eh, a little bit. Y'all still thinking about Pop Rocks and Coke, I know. Henry Nouwen writes, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered this furnace. There he was tempted with the three compulsions of the world to be relevant, turn stones into loaves, to be spectacular, throw yourself down, and to be powerful, I will give you all these kingdoms. There, he affirmed God is the only source of his identity. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. I love that. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Get to the secret place. Get to the secret place. Say that after me. Get to the secret place. I, mean, I, I almost am inclined to tell you to turn to your neighbor and say it, but I'm not going to do that. But get there. Some of you did do it. I like it. I think this is especially true when it comes to our identity, who we are. Our culture has the misguided idea that we are untethered to anything outside of ourselves, that we're to look inward, not upward, inward to invent our identity. And that the rest of the world simply exists to affirm what we've created. How exhausting. I say this a lot, it's exhausting to have to create for yourself your identity. Because identity was not meant to be created by us. It was meant to be received by us. If you're the one meant to form your own identity, it's, it's gonna require so much effort to keep it intact. And the moment that someone questions you, you're gonna have a conniption. You're gonna implode. 
You're gonna be like, wait a minute, I worked hard on this. You have to approve and endorse it. It's exhausting and it's not what God intends for we are created beings. Our identity is not something we construct, it's something we receive from our creator, from our father. Again, John Stark writes, in Christ, we have a received identity rather than a curated one that requires consistent upkeep, improvements, and filters. We were meant to live under the loving gaze of God and his acknowledgement of us rather than trying to display a life that measures up to the world's standard for a balanced, optimized, or admirable life. While we crave the I want your life Instagram comments, what we need is the consistent voice of the Father telling us, you are my beloved. Well done. I love you. I made you. That's what Jesus did. He heard from his Father over and over again. This is my son. I love him. We, we say it holy. This is my beloved son. I, the father's saying, I love him. He's my son. That's what he says when he sees you. I love you. I made you. My love for you makes a difference in you. Receive who I have made you to be. Jesus received that from the father over and over again. Who God says you are is so much better than you, who you say you are. If you're confused about who you are, that's okay. God knows who you are. The more you submit to him, the more you surrender to him, the more you reach out to him, the more you run to him in the secret place, the more you're gonna find out who he made you to be and who he made you to be is as it should be. This is why it's so critical that we withdraw to the secret place, get there. Because that's where we're going to hear the affirmation of the Father. We want the approval of the world, but what we need is the affirmation of our Father. You're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. I'm well pleased with you. But not only do we receive our identity in the secret place, we also receive our strength in that secret place. You know, it's, it's probably because we have more of his prayer life and journals than anyone else in the Bible when we think about David, but he was one who knew how to be in God's secret place. He, he wrote Psalms about it. He talked about his soul panteth for thee. I long for you. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days he got to the secret place. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he knew how to go to the place where God was. We read it throughout the Psalms. We see it throughout his story. He's, he's being chased by Saul. He's, he's running from his own son, Absalom. He's being confronted with his own sin, but he's always drawing strength from the Lord. One time David and his 600 mighty men had gone off to war with the Philistines. It's such an interesting story. And they got nervous that David really wasn't for them. 
They're not as, as, dumb, as dumb as they seem. <laughs> He's, it's true. And so they sent him back. And when they got back, the Amalekites, a marauding group that was always the enemy of Israel, they had come to the town and, 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 and burned it to the ground and kidnapped all the women and children. And, and it struck these men. It was so grievous to them. It was devastating. And while his men had always been loyal to him, now they were ready to kill him. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And here's the key. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. I, I noticed he didn't say the, the Lord God, the Lord, his God. Wouldn't it? be great if that's the way you saw God, the Lord, my God. Not that we possess him, that we own him, that we belong to him, that he is ours. It was not only David who knew where to find strength. He did it so well. He pointed to us how to do it, but Jesus did it the best. I love how Haddon Robinson illustrates this in one of his sermons. He says, where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's hall, nor on his way to Golgotha. It was in the garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Had I been there and witnessed that struggle, I would have worried about the future. If he is so broken up when all he is doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage and his three friends fell apart and fell away. John Tyson says, if you want power in the public place, it only comes from strength you find in the secret place. It was in the garden that the hard work was done in the secret place where Jesus cried out before his father so intense that he sweat blood drops. But in that moment when he said, not my will, but thine be done. He asked, take this cup from me. He was in the secret place of wrestling with the Lord, of, of wanting another way, but of always perfect, perfectly doing the will of the Father. Please, Father, if there is any other way, but not my will, but thine be done. And when he got up from there, the hard work had been done in the secret place. And when he found himself just moments later arrested by the officials, he could stand encouraged because he'd been to the secret place. What are you facing? And have you been to the secret place before you got there? Because if you want strength and encouragement and courage for the public place, you better get to the secret place. I close with this. A warning given to us by the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land 
where no one lives. Like so many places in Israel, if there's not irrigation, the land is filled with wasteland, desert, barren, desolate land. In, in particular, just to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the territory, the terrain is dry and rocky. The vegetation is sparse, very few trees. If you want anything to grow, you have to pump water into it. And any trees you find are little more than scrawny little scrubs. It kind of reminds me of southeastern New Mexico where I grew up. When God speaks through Jeremiah, he's given him a real life illustration. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the seed that gets scattered, he talks about this rocky soil that can't allow for a root system to grow. He says, some of you, it's like seed has been spread on this hard, rocky ground and it sprouts up quickly, but as soon as the sun hits it, it's scorched and it withers. It doesn't last, why? Because there is no root. It doesn't have an ability to dig down into that rock hard soil. And Jeremiah is saying, those who trust in man, those who draw their strength from man, those that nourish themselves with what man will do with performing before men and having the approval of mankind, those people are like something that's in the hard, rocky soil. It's never gonna amount to anything. It's gonna be in the wastelands. It's gonna barely be a bush, a scraggly little shrub. God is giving them a vivid illustration saying that when you trust in the wrong thing, when you draw from the wrong thing, mere flesh, it's like living in a wasteland. It's like dwelling in parched places. It's like being in the salt land where no one lives. But then Jeremiah contrast in verse seven. But... Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of a drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, a lot of Bible scholars think that Jeremiah has in mind a specific place in Israel. It's, it's there, actually, in that area around the Sea of Galilee, at the foot of Mount Gilboa. It's a place called Gan Hashlosha. It means the Garden of Three Springs, and here's a picture of it. A lot of rabbis believe this is the actual place of the Garden of Eden. It's filled with vegetation and palm trees and waterfalls. It's a national park. It's Time Magazine's one of the top 20 most beautiful places to visit. It's got cool, deep, emerald blue water continually. It's, it's consistent temperature all year round because it's fed by these deep springs deep down feeding this cool emerald blue water Look at the contrast of the terrain surrounding it. A lush oasis in the middle of dry, rocky, barren land. This is my prayer for us. 
that our spiritual lives will look like this garden. That in the middle of the wasteland of self-promotion and the, and the parched approval of our modern world, that we will have deep, cool, emerald blue water flowing up out of us from some source that no one can even see it, but it is so rich people come to just see and bask and swim in it. I pray that our spiritual life will be so much an oasis that people come to be refreshed, not just ourselves, but others. I pray that no matter what kind of season we find ourselves, whether it's a drought or whether it's plenty, that we are in the kind of place where our nourishment produces flourishing in us because our nourishment is the Lord. That we will draw our life source from the spirit, from the secret place of God. Can I say it again? Get to the secret place. Get there. Our lives depend upon it. Let's get there and meet with God and pour out our hearts to him. There we'll find our identity secured. There we'll hear the affirmation of the father, not be looking for the approval of the world. There we'll hear what he has to say when he says, you're mine. You're my son. I love you. In you, I am well pleased. There you will find your strength. There you will find a place for healing when you're broken and hurting. There you will find a place for forgiveness when you have sinned. There you will find vision when you have been aimless and wandering around. It's in the secret place where God speaks that we will know what the Father is doing and we will see where he is doing it and we will know with great determination who he has written upon our hearts and we find our strength and our place in the secret place of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Donna's gonna come. We're going to gather at the table. I love what James shared with us this morning, that we should have examined our hearts. I trust that he was kind of teasing if you had a moment, but I, I hope that if there was something the Lord brought to your heart, that you were able to deal with that, speak to that person. If not, I, I strongly encourage you to Refrain from the table, because it's serious. And get that dealt with. And then the next time you have, you have a clean hands and pure heart to come before him and remember. But we're going to gather here at the table in just a few moments. And as we do, my admonition, encouragement to all of you is that this is not the, our church's table. This is the Lord's table. And so we're gonna gather here in five different stations. We'll be circling around these people serving the elements, maybe six, eight, 10 people are in the circle. And they'll share with you the bread and the wine and then they'll pray for you. And I encourage you to come if you're single or if you are new here and you don't know anybody, somebody will probably encourage you to come with them because we're a family in Christ We'll do that in just a moment, but I'm gonna have Donna share just a few minutes and then we'll call those that are serving the communion to come up. I'm always trying to straddle the two compelling principles that when God speaks, he's speaking to me personally and two, when he speaks, he wants me to be open and generous 
with my life in the places that he has spoken to me about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so the word today, if you feel that you are in a desert, this word is for you. But if you have been overwhelmed because you're trying to love and care and believe for somebody that you think is in a desert, this word is for you. (laughs) Because we can only give what we know and believe he has. Yes. If we've gone to the secret place and he's met us there, then as we go out from that place, we can be like a rock in a dry and thirsty land. Yes. We can be shelter. We can be food. So today, if you're thinking, hey, <laughs> I need food for me, great. Yes. We are having communion. That's right. This is the best place to be fed. Yes. But if you've come with a burden on your heart for someone else, mm. I join Chris in saying, let's go to the secret place. Let's find hope and faith that will be able to be broken off out of our lives yes. and feed people who are hungry and hopeless. Yes. Amen.